1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. This is 1059 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On the Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. We begin this morning with the financial squeeze facing many Canadians. Glenn Perkins with the story. A new study reveals what some of us already know. It's a struggle to keep afloat financially. Many people are living paycheck to paycheck. Charlie Graves, president of Modus Research, paints a picture of the survey's overall findings that it's not pretty. We ran this survey uh, towards the end of the summer, and it's quite concerning what we're seeing in these results. We saw this earlier, or in late 2022, but the, a lot of these results have uh, actually gotten a little worse. Canadians are really feeling the impact of the cost of living, like in ways that I've never recalled after 30 years' experience doing uh, public opinion research, seeing this level of concern, it, especially when you look across uh, different income groups, that even in higher income groups, there's a lot of people in there still feeling the pinch. Now, they're not going to be as hard done by as people in lower income groups, of course, but uh, they are definitely feeling the pinch, which is a little unusual and potentially concerning. But we're also seeing this huge concerns over the cost of housing and the amount that people are paying, whether they're renters or homeowners with a mortgage uh, for cost of housing here is huge. And so the gist of the the findings from the survey are that there are some big red flags out there. Um, you know, the Canadian public it, on the whole is, you know, really feeling squeezed right now. And they're not really seeing a light at the end of the tunnel here. And it's not just, uh, say, interest rates per se or inflation. They're just, I think, debt loads and things like that are feeding into this. And certainly the amount of people are leveraged in home ownership and the cost of rent and all these sorts of things are really, really putting people under the gun. It's alarming that you're telling me that the situation has worsened since you conducted the survey. How has it got worse? So in September, we we have some tracking indicators looking at the difference between September 2022 and August 2023, so roughly a year. Over that one-year period, we asked people to what extent, if at all, has the increase in the cost of living over the past year had a negative impact on your household's financial well-being. And back in September 2022, the number of people who said that it had a strong negative impact on their uh, household's financial well-being was just over a quarter at 27%. Today, that's over a third at 35%. Now, that's just the top group. There's, if we include people who say it's having a moderately negative impact, we're pushing 90% of Canadians saying that they're experiencing a negative impact. But what's moved is is that group that uh, is saying they're feeling a strong negative impact. And that's a pretty, just over a year, that's a pretty significant movement, especially on a financial or economic type indicator. Financial health goes hand in hand with physical health. How about their well-being? What was the effect on their health? 
That's a really good question, Glenn. We didn't ask that, but that's something to explore in the future because I agree with you that there is a lot of data out there to suggest that financial well-being <laughs> impacts both mental and physical uh, well-being. We didn't explore that in this particular survey, or we haven't actually explored it in the past, but uh, we would certainly be interested in doing that in the future because that's a really important issue. But no, we don't have any data on that, and I can't speak to that at this point. For those respondents who are finding it tough to keep up financially, was it one demographic or is it across the board? No, this is a thing in our current release that's, you know, when we saw the data that we found quite alarming is, is that it's going across virtually every demographic group, whether it's by income, education, region, age, whatever it may be. It varies across those demographic groupings, but it's very broad in terms of feeling this pinch or this real impact of the cost of living increases. These are people with income ranging from 40000 to $150,000? The low-income group we categorize is under $40,000 of household income, not individual, but household income. The um, high end of that is $150,000 or more of household income. So when we get into those higher groups, whether it's it's from $100,000 to $150,000 or $150,000 plus, we're seeing substantial numbers in there saying... I mean, they're not not like they are in lower income groups, but substantial numbers in there are saying, you know, they can't keep up with this. This is fairly broad based. I mean, this isn't just being felt amongst the most vulnerable people. And it's being felt widely across Canadian population. Charlie, were the contributing factors the same? Cost of living, lack of affordable housing and inflation? Yeah, those were the key factors, and we have measured those, and those are definitely correlate very strongly with the impact of the cost of cost living is, you know, and especially housing. And there's huge concerns about housing affordability in the country. I mean, I don't think that's news, but there are very, very large concerns there. There's concerns with inflation, interest rates, and the general financial or economic well-being of the, the Canadian economy. How do they feel about their future? It's not, it's not very rosy, to be honest with you. They expect it to worsen. They don't expect it to get better. So there's, there's a pretty gloomy picture underlying all of this that they don't see a light at the end of the tunnel here. That, I mean, some people do, but broadly speaking, the Canadian population doesn't think this situation is going to improve anytime soon. Charlie Graves with Modus Research. Thank you for joining us today. I'm most happy to do so, Glenn. We'd like to welcome back Giacomo Lattice. Giacomo, welcome back to On the Market. Thank you both for having me. It's great to be back. Giacomo, I know the latest rental numbers are now out. Tell our listeners a little bit about how they look. For sure. So the average asking rent in Canada increased by just about 2% to $2,117 a month for the average rent in August. This is a 9.6% annual increase. Um, we're seeing this, obviously, there's a lot of factors that cause this with the population growth and affordability issues in the housing market. Um, but what we're seeing is over the past three months, rent increased by just about $100 per month. Yikes, that's a lot considering that folks are not making that kind of money. <laughs> no, they're not. It's definitely outpacing what we're seeing in inflation raises. I mean, it, 10% increase annually is, is quite understandably a burden on people's wallets. Now, those are the national numbers. What can you tell us about uh, the cost of rent closer to home? Yeah, for sure. So what we're seeing is, I'll go through provincially. So Alberta has the highest annual rent growth of 50%, just so we know where we stand in other regions. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
somewhere like Quebec was the second highest of a 14% annual increase. Um, closer to home, Ontario, the average annual rent increased by just shy of 10%. So the average apartment in Ontario is just shy of $2,500 a month. Um, interestingly enough, Toronto had a below average annual increase of just about 8%. So a, your apartment in Toronto right now, on average, it costs about $2,898. And, and Giacomo, have you seen numbers like this? I mean, a 9.6% increase is huge. And getting back pre-pandemic, we've surpassed those numbers now, and there's no relief in sight with the limited inventory that we're facing. I couldn't agree more. And what's been interesting is how things have changed from pre-pandemic to where we are now. When the pandemic started and people were working from home, naturally they realized, hey, I don't have to live in these downtown cores of Toronto, Vancouver, and I can go a little bit in the outer regions and search for more affordable apartments. Or things are going to change a little bit as people are now coming back into the offices. They realize that they have to now go back into these cities, and what they're seeing is the rents are, are, are what they are. Um, of course, what I get asked a lot is how are people affording these rents? Um, and kind of the answer is they're not. They're looking for ways to kind of find cheaper rents, and that's why we're seeing this interprovincial migration get as high as it is now, where people are leaving Ontario in search for cheaper rents. And sorry, where are they going if they're leaving Ontario? They're going to the Albertas and places like that? Exactly, and that's why we saw from our National Rent Report that Alberta, the highest annual rent growth, above 16%. Um, in major cities, Calgary-led rent growth among all cities is a 70% increase year over year. Um, so that's what's happening, right? People are I mean, the thing about Vancouver, the average one-bedroom apartment now is $3,300. I'm not sure how many people can afford that. So what they're doing is they're searching for other places to live, whether that's near them or in a different province. And do you see any relief in sight? You know, are we, are we going to have months where we we can kind of say, okay, you know what, we're flat that month. Are we going to continue to see this 2 to 3% increase across the board as we move forward? Because there's just so many people coming into the country and, and so many people wanting to rent because they can't afford to purchase? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, I wish I had a crystal ball to see these things. But what I can say is that as the school has started and we kind of crossed that peak rental season, right, there were tons of students that were coming in time to look for apartments. And um, naturally, this is usually the busiest time of the year. So we hope to maybe it would leave a little bit. But until the supply and demand issue kind of fixes itself out and we start to see more supply coming to match the demand we expect these prices to continue unfortunately until we see that change and the cmhc estimates that canada needs to build almost six million homes by 2030 with about two million of them being rental properties that's triple canada's historic home building rate so it's going to take a mass millions of homes being built in the next six or seven years before we see a lot more restoration of affordability right so we're not really close yet you talked about more folks turning to rental properties. Do you have tips for those who might be renting for the first time? Yeah, of course I do. I, I have two tips that I, I, I like to tell people when they're looking. Like, obviously, we empathize with renters because there's no easy solution to these rather than cost of rent. Um, if you're a young renter, uh, consider finding a roommate if possible. Oftentimes, when you split the cost of a two-bedroom apartment, you can save quite a bit of dollars per month. Because going from a one-bedroom to a two-bedroom, you're not doubling your rent. Um, the other thing that I would mention is that we want to make sure that new renters getting into the market are really setting their expectations and planning their budgets accordingly. I'm, I'm not sure how 
it was like, I'm not sure everyone looks at their budgeting, but typically I was taught about 30% of your income should go towards housing. Uh, but when we're seeing prices like this, that's not really the case anymore. So make sure that you are adjusting your budgets and you're setting your expectations accordingly and using sites like rentals.ca to make sure that you're finding a place that you're comfortable living in in a budget that you can't afford. And Giacomo, for our listeners that want to read more about the rental report and, and see where they're at in, in their areas, where do they find that? Of course. So rentals.ca, right at the top there, you'll see a rent report, or you can go to rentals.ca slash national rent report, and then you can see a brand new report that was posted just a few hours ago um, with breakdowns nationally, provincially, and, and municipal as well. And and what can you tell us? I know that you've got a contest coming up, the National Free Rent Contest. What can you share about that? Right. So we're really proud to launch our National Free Rent Contest. As we know, with these rent prices, it's really putting a burden on people's wallets. So we're trying to get back a little bit where we can uh, to alleviate some of that pressure. So just by visiting contest.rentals.ca, um, you can simply fill out your name and email, and you'll be submitted for a chance to win a free month of rent. And additionally, we're posting this all over our social media channels. And if you like and follow us on there, you'll have additional entries into the contest as well. So we really encourage you to look to that. And it will be running till October 2nd. The winner will be selected randomly and will be announced on our website and social platforms shortly after October 2nd. And Giacomo, before we let you go, where are the most affordable areas in Canada for renting? Sure. So I'll look at our top 35 cities in Canada, and just kind of give you a comparison there. So a one-bedroom apartment in Saskatoon right now is just over $1,000 a month. Uh, Regina is just over $1,100 a month. A little bit closer to home there, we're seeing places like um, Ottawa and Oshawa, which is about $1,800 a month. And then top of our list would be Vancouver, which is just shy of $3,000 a month for a one-bedroom. And a two-bedroom in Vancouver, about $3,800 a month. So that's kind of the top of our list there. Uh, Toronto, it's second on our list with $2,600 a month for a brand-new one-bedroom, which is a 10% increase year-over-year. Mississauga finished fourth, Brampton finished fifth, and North York finished sixth. So um, a lot of areas around us there are, are seeing the top of our list being ranked. Wow, Giacomo, thanks so much for that information, and we look forward to uh, next month's report. Thank you, guys. Pleasure being here. I'm happy to talk to you guys anytime. After the break, the do's and don'ts of home insurance. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties with today's next guest, Asif. Thank you, Tina. Joining us is Rajiv Verma of AIA Insurance. Rajiv is the president and it stands for All in All Insurance. Rajiv, welcome to the show. Thank you, Asif. Thank you for taking me in. Rajiv, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about what AIA Insurance stands for and and what you guys do. So AIA Insurance uh, Brokerage is a PNC brokerage where we do all types of general insurance like auto, home, commercial, properties, like anything other than life insurance. Uh, That is what we do. 
And why the need for property insurance specifically? So property insurance, as you know, no house closing can be done without the insurance. So lawyers will not even accept unless there's insurance with full guaranteed replacement costs. So what that means is the property, which is personal residence, has to be guaranteed replacement cost. So if tomorrow the house is damaged by fire, it will be replaced as per the current market construction cost. And now there's different types of uh, insurance for homes. There's different types of liability amounts. Why would someone want, say, a, a $1 million liability versus a, a $2 million liability? And, and have you seen, uh, you know, more uh, liability insurance on properties? So to give a straight answer to that, uh, one has to assess nowadays the house's cost of construction is really high. And normally a person is uh, responsible, let's say, there's a fire in their house and it spreads to neighboring houses. So one has to assess how much far is the house. If it is a townhouse, then the liability is much bigger because the whole townhouses can go. If it is a detached, chances are that it might just go to one more house. So assessing where you are living, let's say they are living in where the houses are 500,000, then they can choose 1 million as liability considering two houses. But anything bigger, people should take at least $2 million liability. And estate homes should go for $5 million. Hmm. Now, what can you tell us about high-risk property insurance? So high-risk uh, terminology is basically two ways. One is where the property values are really high, like as I said, estate homes, etc. So they are not technically high-risk. But because of the appetite of insurance companies to insure that high-value house, it goes under high risk in that sense, but not because it has adverse features. And the other true sense high risk is if somebody had passed claims on their property, uh, somebody's policy got canceled for non-payment, those kind of uh, risk becomes high risk, and they, then we have market for them too. But it's different and it is a little more expensive than the normal ones. So as a homeowner, my policy covers my belongings that are in the house at the time, right? Yes, yes. So uh, Even for a tenant is also covered. Okay. So I was, let's say somebody just got a tenant insurance. So there we are not covering the building. That is done by the homeowner's policy. So we will cover his personal belongings and the liability because of him. So I was going to ask you, that was the question I was going to ask, was if a homeowner has a policy, why would the tenant's belongings not be covered under that policy? Why would a tenant need their own policy? So it's not just the tenant's belonging. Even tenant's liability is not covered by the homeowner's policy. That's why nowadays all condos, all homeowners, they particularly ask the tenant and they put it in the clause as lease that they should have at least this much amount of uh, insurance. So one reason is because homeowner's policy, there's a certain thing known as insurable interest. So he doesn't have interest in the uh, tenant's personal belongings. He owns them. He has to get insurance done for himself. But as far as liability is concerned, let's say the tenant is in the basement or something like that, and there's a fire while he's cooking and the whole house is burned. 
Now the homeowner policy will pay, but then under the subrogation right of insurance, their insurance company will go after the tenant's liability policy. That's how it works. <laughs> because end of the day, whosoever was responsible for the claim has to pay. And if the tenants think that they don't need, if the liability comes on them and they don't have uh, insurance, then sometimes they're personally liable. And does one's property insurance also cover a rental property or a cottage property, perhaps? Yes, yes. So when you have a rental property, the important thing other than what you cover in a normal house is also the rental income. Because there, if let's say there's a fire, the person, the owner of the property has put their mortgage, set everything based on that, but if there's no insurance of rental income, uh, how is he going to continue paying the mortgage? So the people who are doing their rental insurance, uh, rental property insurance, they must add the rental income to it too. And Rajiva, I know we're we're not even out of September yet, but the snowbirds are thinking of heading down to Florida. If they're going to leave their house vacant here, is there any other additional insurance that they need, or are they good to go and just come back uh, with the peace of mind that everything will be okay? So most of the standard policies have 30 days vacancy clause. So if they are just going for 30 days, they are okay to go. But if it is more than that, they have to appoint somebody who should come on a regular basis and check that heating and air conditioning is all working there. Because if they would not, imagine in winter's time, if the heating is off due to some reason, then the whole pipelines will freeze and it comes out to be a very big claim. So they have to make sure that in their absence, somebody is coming there. What advice do you have for those of us who just think, you know what, I'm sure I'm covered, whether it's a flood in my basement or some sort of other natural disaster, I must be covered and everything is fine. What advice do you have for people like us? The, the advice is when you're taking insurance, it's not just a piece of paper. Mm. If you're taking it, then take it properly, not just to, you know, give a certificate to the lawyer for closing. That doesn't work. In the case of uh, any claim, it becomes really big. Property is not cheap, right? Even in a car insurance, one can say, okay, it was $50,000 car. I can take that risk. But in houses, you know how Canadian houses are mostly wood. So if there's a fire, nothing is left. So if they take that big risk, you can imagine where they will be if they don't take proper insurance. And that's why professional advice is important. They should go to a registered broker or anybody who is professionally sound and then cover what is best and affordable to them. And for our listeners that are wondering what terms they should, what general terms they should include in their policy or what the cost would be, deductibles, what do you have to say to them? So deductibles range somewhere from $1,000 to 2500 Most of the companies put little higher deductibles on water damage claims like sewer backup and all that because of high claims right now. All insurance companies are burning due to wildfire and other stuff. There are huge claims on tornadoes. 
So natural calamities are putting a lot of pressure on insurance companies. End of the day, they are also in business. They have to sustain. And that's why in last three, four years, we have seen the premiums have gone up rocket high because of the cost of construction. So if there's, as I said earlier, entry replacement cost, the insurance companies are liable to rebuild it. And the cost is so high, so they have to uh, increase the premium as well. Fire and theft coverage is the most common one, which they must have on their policy because fire is the biggest risk. Thank you for that great information. And if our listeners want to connect with you, if they have more questions or just want general information, how do they do that? So they can write to my info email, which is like info, I-N-F-O at A-I-A insurance.ca and to, to directly to my cell phone number, I have no problems. It's 647-980-3455. I have around 50 brokers in my company, so I'll allot it to them and they will get the best services, no problems. Thank you so much for joining us and for the information. When we come back, your real estate questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market. Your questions for Asif Khan are next. And we begin with Gaia in Thornhill. She wants to know your top three tips for selling her home. It's a two-story semi, quickly, and for the right price. Asif. Well, that's a great question. And the first thing is you want to know what the actual market value of your property is. So make sure you do your homework or you have your realtor do their homework on what the market price would be. And the market price is not what a neighbor sold for six months ago or what uh, a neighbor sold for two years ago. The market price is actually what our property is selling for right now in that area with the upgrades and the the uh, things that you have in your home that are going to showcase it in the best light possible. So the, that first and foremost is price. Second is condition. Make sure that your house is absolutely ready to go when it comes to listing. And that includes giving it a fresh coat of paint, having it decluttered, staged, making sure the landscaping is done well. Just making sure that when people walk into your home, they are seeing it as the best home on the street. And lastly, it's making sure that uh, you allow showings when people want to get in and see it. A lot of people will say, well, I only want showings between 5 and 7, Monday to Friday, and things like that. And it really limits the amount of people that can get into your home. You want to get as many people through as possible, have the home showcased as well as possible, and make sure it's priced right. And that'll make it so. All right. Good advice there. Pat from Aurora wants to know, if you think mortgage rates will ever get back to pre-pandemic rates, if so, when? Her mortgage renewal is in January of 2024. What should she be prepared to do? 
Well, pre-pandemic rates are around the 4.5% mark, 5% mark, and that was the old normal. And that will eventually become the new normal again. I do see them getting back to that point. How long is it going to take? It really depends on how they uh, measure the inflation rates moving forward and things like that and making sure that uh, you know, you're set up for your renewal to match up with when you're going to be uh, you know, hitting that price point. So you may want to do a, a shorter renewal of maybe uh, a year or two years, but in a couple of years, I do see the rates getting back to those levels. And are these sort of the top you know, a couple of questions that clients in your own office are asking about. They probably want to know, can you sell my home quick? And what are the mortgage rates, right? Aren't those the two big issues? Yeah, for sure. Especially in the climate that's out there right now, it's uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. And you want to assure people that, you know, we call those the three pillars of real estate, price, condition, and accessibility. And if those three things are taken care of, the house is going to sell. As far as interest rates, the normal what we were used to before was around the four and a half, five percent, and that was a, a decent rate. Uh, we were spoiled a little bit during the pandemic period when money was almost free, if you want to call it that. Uh, right now, we're uh, you know quite high, but I can see after they sort out the inflation, uh, it should get back to a, a normal rate. And is this still a busy time in your office where we're heading into, you know, fall officially? And is it the time when people are thinking about selling or if you're out there, you're going to sell now and then you're going to stop? The fall market usually starts around the end of September and lasts until the end of November. So we're getting into that. The rate hold, the September rate hold really spiked the the level of activity that we're seeing right now. And uh, it was pretty quiet in August after that uh, rate increase. But the September rate hold did see a bit of a spike in activity and listings and, and even buyers getting back out there. Uh, it's going to depend on what happens uh, in October. If there's another hold, expect it to be a very busy fall. If there's a quarter point increase, as some are suggesting, it could be uh, a subdued kind of fall. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the the rates in October. You spoke about a spike in activity. Does that mean an increase in inventory? There has been a little bit of an increase in inventory, but there's also been an increase in sales. So it's kind of balanced out. We still don't have enough inventory. And, and, you know, it's funny how even through the hot market or the quiet market, we've always been having the same conversation. And that's uh, a a struggle with inventory levels. Mm. Absolutely. As a reminder, if you have questions for On The Market, hit send anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that? Tina, they can get me at 416-985-5426. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.